Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs, and welcome to Worry Desho's Desho the Third of a very Desho nature. Uh, this is our premium podcast stream for $5 tier patrons or higher if you do so choose to give us more money for my happily hedonistic lifestyle. Uh, speaking of which, this stream today is brought to you by Rum. Rum, where there's rum, there's fun. Hmm. I'm drinking this not because I had a terrible day at work, but because I might have had a terrible day at work. Uh, anyway, all that aside, I'm Shaden, and joining me from across the... No, God, he's still not here, is he? I'm going to really have to start asking for proof of life at this point, but unfortunately, Doc is uh, still in absentia. Uh, he has returned from his holidays, but he's just not able to join us due to other reasons for another week or two. Uh, but that's fine, you've got me, and there's more enough for me to go around and talk with everyone and talk shop about this show. Uh, also, for the observant, you might notice that the background art and the art I have on the stream today is not from the anime proper. Finding actual high-res, non-watermarked background art for this show via Google search proved too much for my feeble mind to handle. But thankfully, the manga art was available, and it's actually nicer than the show's art, as it turns out. So I thought, go with that. Who's going to care? Who's going to notice? Uh, but yes, uh, we're going to be talking about episodes 9 through 12 of bottom-tier character Tomazaki, and... I'm going to get this out of the way first before we discuss anything else about this particular block of episodes in the show as a whole. I am shocked and surprised. Confused even a little bit, maybe. Perhaps a bit perplexed, you might say. And why is that? Because I look back now on when I started watching this show, uh, as requested by Rackham, who may or may not be here on the high seas of YouTube chat, and I thought to myself, oh god... Oh God, help me. This is going to be some milk toast harem shit. It's going to be as boring as watching lead paint dry and arguably as poisonous. But while my initial fears were, you know, not entirely dispelled by episodes one through four, after that point, the show took a dramatic uptick in quality, uh, which actually stayed until the very end. It ended very damn well, this show did. And I am honestly stunned but pleased that it did, because Lord knows I've talked enough times on this podcast across all sorts of different like podcast streams that we do about shows that I watch, and I'm like, oh, well, it was doing really, really well until it crashed into a, you know, a whole, like, a fucking orphanage or something. It just exploded and wrecked itself, or it kind of, you know, like, had a great time and then tripped on the way out of the pub. Like I want to do sometimes, unfortunately. But this show had the exact opposite problem, where it started out shit and actually got really, really good at the end, in a way that I don't recall having seen another anime do. But I'm very, very glad it did. And I'm going to be telling you today all the reasons why I think that is, as well as answering patron questions and giving overall thoughts on the show. Although I may have already spoiled that a little bit, but well, there's your TLDR, I guess. Um... So, with that in mind, I should firstly mention that Desho the Third is, of course, our top-line patron-chosen uh, podcast for $5 tier users or higher. Uh, that means that they get to choose or vote on which shows we cover. Tomasaki, of course, was requested by Rackham, and Rackham put it to a vote, and everyone decided we would watch it. So, fair play to you guys, and thank you very much for uh, suggesting that I watch it, because I don't know if, on the other circumstances, I've got past the first four episodes or so. Again, immensely glad I did. Um... If you're thinking to yourself, though, hey, uh, maybe I'd like to, you know, direct the uh, course of uh, Wari Desho's future and maybe possibly ruin Shaden's brain a bit by making him watch something that has the opposite quality curve to this show, then I say, no, 
Don't do that. Please don't. Please don't go over to patreon.com forward slash Rory Desho. Please don't give me an extra $5 a month to help fund my, you know, alcohol collection that's on my shelves back there. Please don't do this at all. Please don't join our amazing community where we've got cool people talking all the time about stuff like anime and manga. We occasionally have, like, get-togethers watching uh, films, uh, samplers, uh, games. I know they've been on the back burner as of late owing to, like, lockdown restrictions easing. Me, you know, going out and actually drinking in the wild like the... Fucking thirsty moose I am, that kind of thing. But nonetheless, we have a vibrant community, and on top of that, all the perks that come with being a $5 patron, including, of course, voting on shows, voting on our second stream, uh, asking questions of the shows we cover, a feature exclusive to patrons. No one else gets to do that. No one gets to ask me who my favourite girl in uh, Tomazaki Kun is. No one did ask me who my favourite girl in Tomazaki Kun is. Thank fuck for that. Uh, I may have potentially ignored that question, a first in Warrior Deshaun history, although I might also be breaking my contract there. Anyway, so that's our patron. Do check that if you have the time. Time to stuff, of course, if you don't want to, you know, put some money towards us and you're listening to it on the free swear. I still thank you for taking the time to listen to me ramble on about this show. All right, then. Well, we've got that out of the way. I've got a little bit of housekeeping sorted. I'm also potentially going to note the fire exits next, but granted, you'll probably listen to this not in my house, or at least I hope you're not in my house. If you are, please reveal yourself with your opportunity and then get out. But Nonetheless, uh, it's time now to talk about Patreon questions for this particular block of episodes, which is going to be episodes 9 through 12. I will mention again, there's the usual refrain here when it comes to our particular format for Death Show the Third, which is, I won't be providing a plot summary of the episodes that have happened, I'll only be providing plot summations as and when it's appropriate for answering the question. Um, just so we're not like dragged or bogged down in endless plot recitations, which you could probably be best served by getting from Wikipedia, citation needed. Anyway. With that in mind, I'm going to go now over to our Discord channel with all the questions in. Uh, the first batch of questions comes from Bottom Tier Pirate Rackham and goes something like this. Number one, what are your thoughts uh, slash opinions on how this group of episodes portrayed male friendship, bonding, and support? Well, I'm going to say one thing right off the bat, which is I'm actually shocked this show even bothers having male bondship, uh, bondship <laughs> male bonding, friendship, and support at all. I thought the male characters was going to be peripheral, like, you know, whenever you look at someone's IMDb credits and they're listed as aide or, like, you know, nurse or something like that, they don't actually have a name. Like, they're just guys in the background. They're fluff. But it turns out, no, the, the guys in this show are not fluff, which is a shock to me, uh, as after the initial four episodes anyway. So... I have actually got some mixed feelings on this, though, because uh, there are other questions relating to this later that I'm going to try and uh, answer separately. Uh, but I will, however, mention one specific scene that stuck out in my mind, which I don't recall seeing in an anime of this, like, where it is set around uh, teenagers in high school. You know, the, the, the stereotypical, like, setting of a lot of anime. Particularly not in a very contemporary comparison to this show, which is Horimiya, where that took the exact opposite approach to male bonding, in that any time two guys were within two feet of each other, Hori's gaydar went off, and, well... Yeah. But anyway, um, there is a scene, um, and this is in episode 9 specifically, uh, between Tomazaki and Musasawa. Musasawa being like the top tier male, the alpha dog, if you're a believer in that bullshit. Uh, the alpha wolf, as it were. Um, and what happens is they have a talk in the bathroom, and Tomazaki, uh, this is of Tomazaki's house, by the way, because they've gone there to hang out while plotting to get. Uh, God, what were their names again? Oh, Shuji and Yuzu, there is. I had it in my notes somewhere. I was just scanning my eyes to the right, but I honestly can't remember because all I could think to myself was that Shuji was a dickhead and Yuzu was there. But this, that's not the question I'm choosing to answer. The question I'm choosing to answer, of course, is about this scene. And one of the things, of course, that Tomazaki has done uh, throughout the show has been, uh, or rather since the early part of the show, is if I try, you know, hairstyling progs, why not? 
Um, but the question, of course, and this is something I am intimately familiar with, not you might think because I don't have any hair now and I'm making a joke because I did spike my hair at the pat when I was younger, when I actually had a full head of hair. Yes, that's true. I did have a full head of hair once. I know that's strange and unusual. I know that's disconcerting and perhaps even horrifying. But it's true. I swear. So I, um, you know, like, how do you style one ha one's hair? Like, what do you style into? Like, just because you have gel doesn't mean you have any idea what the heck you're doing with it. And so uh, Tomazaki Musa, like, they have this discussion about, like, you know, how Tomazaki is very earnest and always serious about what he's into. But Mizusawa actually styles his hair for him. And I, gosh, I firstly... I want to just point out that I think that they're in, at least in the West, I can't speak for Japan on this, um, but in the West, I think there's a common, like, stereotype of how, like, men barely put any effort into their appearance, while women are the ones who are always, like, you know, putting real effort out there, like, they've got to spend, like, 30, it's just, like, kind of, like, tropey, even probably a little sexist kind of thing, or sexist on both sides, I should stress. Um, and I think that that's not necessarily true, but rather that's more convention. Like, that's how people see, like, you know, stereotypical men and stereotypical women. But that's also true in media, I think, in that you very rarely see men actually, like, you know, go through the process of getting ready to do anything in terms of their attire, their hair. Not saying it doesn't happen, of course, even for someone like me who has no hair. Um, but rather, like, men taking time to look at their appearance and try and, like, you know, style it in advance of going out somewhere is an afterthought in a lot of media. It's not something you, you see very often. So... The, ver the very merit, uh, sorry, the very fact that this thing is in this show to begin with, especially considering its earlier caliber, uh, is incredibly refreshing. Just It's just there for its existence. And not to mention, it also, of course, goes a long way in helping Tomazaki and Mizuzawa, like, you know, actually bond authentically. Uh, which, by the way, the word authentic is going to be our big key word of the day here. It's the one that if I had more of a budget, the moment I said it, there would be like klaxons going off and balloons and confetti flying around my house right now. But just keep that word in mind, authentic and all of the, you know, and same sort of like authenticity, that kind of thing. Uh, that will be important later. But yeah, to answer Rackham's question, I was phenomenally impressed with that scene. Firstly, because it actually existed. Holy shit. Secondly, because it's a healthy representation of two heterosexual men bonding in a way where it also like affirms that, hey, it's okay for guys of that age, or any age for that matter, to be, you know, interested in looking at their appearance. And it's also okay to like accept help from someone. Even like the fact that he's physically, like Tomazaki's letting physically touch his hair. And there's no like, he's got his fingers all over me. I might have the queerness, sir. Like, you know, some of this homophobic shit tends to be. Um, the, all of that, I thought, was fantastic. It's treated plainly, matter-of-factly, and normal. It normalizes this sort of behavior between these two guys. And I thought that was fantastic. Um, beyond that, this is where I run into a bit of a problem because if you'll allow me just to uh, ruminate on this, or ruminate as it were. Bad joke, sorry, I had to get that out of my system. Well, I got that in my system. Um, what we tend to see between a lot of the male characters in this in these episodes, particularly when we're on the camping trip, is banter. And you have to say banter by putting emphasis on the first half of, like, banter! Like that. Um, banter, <laughs> I mean, it's... I wouldn't call it universally healthy to have banter where you're like, you know, constantly taking the mick out of your friends. Although some friendly ribbing can be fine. I think it's one of those grey areas where I wouldn't necessarily say there's 
I was about to say hard and fast rules, but that, as far as the latest kissing is concerned, that's the worst kind of thing I could say about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I... Um, I think that what we I should take on basically take it as given, which is this is like discussion between lads, and admittedly, there's none of the homophobic shit that I've seen previously, not even just Horamia, but even things like the Persona anime and all that. Uh, it's lads banter. Uh, it's relatively harmless, I would say. Um, so yeah, I'm mostly okay with it, to be quite honest. Um, so yeah, count me as being overall overall very positive to mostly neutral on it uh, but it's on about the batting average is really good in general like I mean that scene alone between Musara and Tomazaki is one of the shining moments of the show just because he actually did it it treated it as like the most normal thing in the world rather than you know something which uh, Tomazaki like you know or Musara like thought I don't want to get close to him in that way or of like someone met Sora like maybe his sister I can see like a scene where his sister Tomazaki's sister walks past looks through the door and he's like I didn't think my brother was gay but now I realise he is hmm um, I should stress by the way I'm not here of course saying oh no uh, no gayness in this show I mean what I'm trying to say though is that generally speaking when it comes to um, heterosexual male on male relationships um, they're always treated as kind of a queer panic or rather too often treated as queer panic or gay panic things for comedy rather than the idea that we can have a genuine like heart to heart like being emotionally vulnerable or even being the way that they are in that scene which is hey i'll let you style my hair for me why the hell not kudos to the show for doing that i think that was an excellent excellent scene Next question from Rackham. One thing I've seen in many reviews of this show is how Hinami showing up to give all this help to Tomazaki is not the type of help people can accurately expect. Uh, this is not the entire question, but I will intercede here to say I agree. Not everyone is going to have a Hinami in their life, and moreover, I don't think a lot of people should have a Hinami in their life, but I'm going to get into that later. Uh, however, would you say that Fuka and Mizuzawa can be good examples of the type of help, support, and advice you could find from people in real life? Yes, I would say so. And I'm going to say that not strictly speaking because of the specific stuff that they say. Like, I'm going to talk at length about Fuka later because there's a lot to discuss with her. And she's got something that she says in this show that I think is brilliant and actually really gives the show a lot of dimension that kind of, like, took me aback, because I was like, holy shit, this show is not so, like, limited in its focus, but I'll I'll save that. I'm not going to get into that right now. But rather, what I mean to say is that Hinami came to, you know, Tomazaki and has given him this very structured, uh, very goal-driven and goal-oriented, like, program of how to improve yourself. It's the self-help book for gamers, you know, like, with your repeatable daily quests, your experience grind, you know, your particular loot, all this sort of stuff. But rather, um, these two characters, if you look at Tomazaki as he was in episode one, he would never have spoken to either of them willingly. He would have ignored them. But, as it turns out, um, Mizuzawa, of course, we've had that scene I already mentioned in which by actually just, you know, talking to him, getting to know him, like, you know, engaging with him as a real person, we've had that moment of genuine bonding. And then with Fuka, we've got everything that's going with her where they actually went on a date. Um, and then there's the discussions that they have in ep- uh, at the end of episode, or I'm sorry, the midpoint of episode 11 and the start of episode 12. Um, 
So what I think is neat to realize from this is I'm not necessarily going to comment specifically on the advice they give because I feel that's too specific to the show rather than the broader point I think Rackham is getting at, which is, of course, about real life, which is this makes you realize because they're there and they help Tomazaki that there are sources of help and assistance. And it doesn't need to be, of course, as formalized or rigidly structured as anything that Hinami gives. Uh, but there are people out there who will do that for you if you're just willing to open up a little bit, you know? That's what friends are for. It's surprising, like, and it's welcome that the show is also, like, not just simply letting Hinami be the sole source of advice and, like, you know, um, discussion for Tomazaki, like, for him to go through his self-improvement. Like, he finds additional sources completely organically, and I think that's brilliant, and a nice uh, reassurance to the audience that they can do that too. Hmm. So next question from uh, from Rackham is, Episode 9 introduces two particular items. A backpack that Hinami doesn't care for because of a single hardly noticeable fray, and the colourful button she accepts in return, which she admits is something she likes, but would never buy herself since she only spends money on the things she needs. What significance and symboli- uh, symbolism do you yourself see in these two items, and how the show uses slash focuses on them in the various scenes they appear in? Well, the frayed backpack is a visual metaphor for imperfection. It is the most minor thing in the world. Uh, But that's it. That's all it takes. And Hinami's like, nope, that minor fray is not good enough. I don't want it. I want it to be perfect. So, yeah, I think that that's pretty obvious for that one. The colourful button that she gets in return, I think that was something that Tomazaki bought, even though, like, she mentioned it. And... I think in some way that might be the fact that she's admitting maybe a little bit, especially when they blend the two together by having Tomazaki cover up the fray with that button, that she's willing to allow some outside element into her life. Um, I, this is also, I should stress, by the way, because the button's quite colourful, um, a reflection on something that Fuka says where she mentions about the idea of how someone can let you see the colours in your life. Um, and that's admittedly what Hinami did, does, uh, despite certain issues with what she teaches him. Um, so for one, like, I think that it's blending together these things where the imperfection can be covered up or, like, you know, well, not, not even covered up or removed, but rather just, how should we say, um, replaced with something that's outside of her, like, her, like, that she's taken as a gift from her, like, someone else. And I think it goes to show as well how Tomazaki has left his mark on her. Because, um, I mean, if you think about it as well, like, the backpack itself could be seen as a representative of Hinami, in a sense, visually, because she's overall pretty perfect, or a perfectionist, but she does have flaws. Uh, she has flaws in the way that she views the world, she has flaws in the way that she views relationships, um, and she has, even even the fact that she won't buy, like, you know, something that she wants as a frivolity is a problem in itself, like, going by a strictly needs-based existence is no way to live. So, yeah, I, um, I think that there's some good elements to this. Like, very, they're only very simple items, mind you. Uh, some of it, as I say, a little obvious, but obviousness is not necessarily a bad thing with the frayed, like, stitching on the backpack. So, yeah, uh, I thought they were done quite well. Uh, nice little background details there. Very good. The final question from Rackham. Considering Hinami stated in the first epi- episode she used to be less than average... Do you believe something happened to her or in her world that caused her to develop her current view or mindset? And while she is good at putting in effort and helping people at times, do you think not learning to let go or ease up on her strict mindset could eventually lead to any harm? 
Okay, so I absolutely believe that something must have happened or things have happened. Like, it doesn't need to be a singular event. It can be a blend, a melange of things that have happened that have conditioned her to believe in things the way she does. Um, it can be very, it could be a, a many different things, basically. Um, so I absolutely do believe that something has happened. The question is what? And this brings me to one of the few criticisms I'd make about the way the show ends in that Hinami has a very, very strict way of thinking and she has a very specific and strange way of describing like she refers to like humans and the way humans like seek true desire and frivolities. Like it's a very othering term to use that saying like humans are like that as if though she's looking at like an anthropologist. It's strange and yet there is no evidence given to us even hint wise as to what that might be. Now I have a sneaking suspicion this is a sneaking suspicion here on my part, um, that she she probably, like, the, 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 the things that may have happened to her in the past, like the backstory for her, um, could potentially be elaborated on in future, like, issues or episodes of the show. Because this was based on manga, and the manga is continuing after the show ends, as I understand it. Um, so that could be elaborated on later, no doubt. I mean, they did eventually get around to giving me, 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 a backstory. So it's not impossible, but I think that I would have liked some hints to have been peppered here and there. That being said, though, I also kind of feel that if there had been a couple of hints peppered here and there, we get to the end of this episode, episode 12, that is, and, you know, we're leaving the show behind and then be like, well, OK, we don't ever get like what it might be. It would be a very fine balancing act to make it work. So, yeah, um, I... I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I don't like the fact that she doesn't elaborate on that, or if the fact that that's a good thing, actually. It's difficult to say. Um, but, I mean, I'm open to the idea of the show exploring. I mean, that's one of the things that the ending does that I think is really good, is that it's open to future... I'm going to say adventures here. I'm not saying, like, they go, like, swinging through the jungle on ropes or anything like that. But rather, what I mean to say is they're open to future stories where we can elaborate on what's already been built on. The show is not a closed book here. It's more of a promise of future tales and i'll discuss the ending in more detail later the other part of rackham's question was do you not think uh, sorry do you think not learning to let go or ease upon a strict mindset could eventually lead to any harm well let me offer you a hypothetical here let me offer you a hypothetical scenario. let me let me just let's speculate let's get into real fan speculation here so they're of course in high school let's say we fast forward to the age of 30 if minami keeps all of that uh you know rigid uh, that rigid outlook on life of i don't like you know genuinely engage with people i don't let people get too close uh, i only spend on what i need uh, you know and i must be a perfectionist it's gonna cause her first off to be incredibly lonely uh two is probably gonna cause us some real mental and emotional harm as well i i can't see it ending well um and funnily enough yeah that it's not ending well for her already in a sense even though it's the probably a very immaterial thing in that it's because of the fact that she can't truly a hundred percent get into something like she can give it like 99 percent, but not 100 that she can't actually beat tomazaki attack fan that's the thing he mentions like you know it's his genuine desire to play the game and like love it uh that pushes him to do all this like she must have found attack fan as an outlet for like doing something else but she's never like, she wants to be good at TAC fam to prove that she's good at it, 
rather than being good at Tak Fan for its own sake, which is Tomazaki spanking. So, yeah, I don't see it ending well for her. And I think that if there was more material in the manga, or if like it was ever elaborated on in maybe future installments of the show, we would get elaboration on that, and maybe it would, uh, you know, soften her viewpoint. But Tomazaki does, you know, say, hey, my view, my view has merit, and she concedes to that. There is a chink in that armor. There is a fray in that backpack, if you know what I mean. So, thank you very much to Rackham for that question. That's our questions there. Um, just going to do a quick check with the chat to make sure that you can all hear me okay, by the way. Because chat's quiet today. And that always leaves me a little paranoid. I think to myself, either they're lip-reading me, and they're doing a fantastic job, or they can't hear me at all. And they're just, just like, hee <laughs> uh, So, anyway... I'll crack on to the next set of questions while we're doing that, because this is still being recorded locally for your podcast listening pleasure. Uh, next question comes, or rather, next set of questions comes from Kate Rose. Uh, this, oh boy, this one. <laughs> oh, I knew this was coming. I knew this question was coming. God help me. Uh, right. What did you think of the camp bath fan service scene? If you could have, would you have chosen to change it somehow? Or keep it as is. Okay, so I could cop out here. I could cop out here real hard and say that I'm only thinking of the scene involving the women. But we know that's not true. We know the question does not actually... <laughs> the question does not actually refer just to that specific thing there. It is referring to... I'm, I'm going to do both. I'll talk about both, actually, because they both have problems. <laughs> okay, so the first one is uh, this... This fan service scene uh, with um, this fan service scene with the girls, like they mentioned to the guys, oh, uh, no peeking, na na na, and then immediate hard cut to side boob that's bouncing up and down while being washed. I'm just like, well, uh, okay, <laughs> that's the thing, I guess. I I don't know who wrote Tomazaki originally, the manga that is. I don't know. I I couldn't tell you. Uh, maybe it was made by a YouTube algorithm. Maybe it was written by someone at Alphabet. Couldn't tell you. Um, but I get the impression this is written by a guy who probably has never asked a woman, like, hey, what happens in women's showers? And I say that in the most, like, you know, non-creepy, I'm doing this because I'm writing a book that involves this kind of scene. Uh, so please, like, you know, let me know what your secrets are, mysterious woman, or... <laughs> Um, because it reminds me of a complaint I once had about, uh, you know, old whipping post of the pod, Darling and the Franks, where you had a scene in which the girls would complain to the guys, hey, stop leering at us. But then, of course, all the fan service that the audience gets feels very, like, contrary to that. And this is kind of it, too, but it's brief. No one makes a big deal out of it. We don't get a scene in which the guys are, like, you know, sneaking into the bath or anything like that. They, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say... Hey, it's a, it's strange, but whatever. I'm going to let go. And then there's the dicks. <laughs> there's the dicks. There's the dicks. Uh, I mean, obviously you don't see any dick. Because, well, we can't have that. 
I mean, it's like, you know, when they say about, like, how Yuri on Ice had that nipple scene, that, like, the fucking Vixer had nipples, and everyone was like, holy shit, we finally got nipples on someone. No, I think all the I think all the boys in Tomazaki's, like, as a show, had their nipples surgically removed for fear of censorship. But anyway, point being, of course, is that Tomazaki gets in the uh, the bath with them, and apparently he's a shower as opposed to a grower. Um, yeah. If case you're thinking about, hey, the Shad's ever had banter about dicks and dick sizes, the answer to that question is yes, I have. Um, and it's and he insults. <laughs> I think he insults Shuja. It might be me. So I don't. I, those two seem similar. It doesn't matter. He insults one of them uh, about the size of his penis because apparently it's maybe that. For those of you listening on podcasts, just imagine that I'm using my forefinger and thumb to make a semi like you know obscene gesture here and you could probably put the two and two together all right so this is the thing about the lads banter stuff like i think that one could argue that hey maybe that's not too bad because they laughed it off like in a very like they weren't mocking him too much for having a tiny cock uh but <laughs> but i i'm just gonna point something out here which i find like i think that the writers might not have considered which is tomazaki opens the entire show by saying like that he is bottom class in everything in terms of like his stats like he places an emphasis on stats which i've said before is incel shit it's it's the it's the road to inceldom it's the road to the pills um your pill and your pudding and yet much in the same way as I've said, for example, in Horimiya about the idea of conventional attractiveness being something that you shouldn't really give too much credence to. Um, I'm not going to lie and also say that it's, uh, you know, like something people ignore, can, can ignore entirely or isn't like a factor in like, you know, how they feel about their own self-image. So I find it very odd that Tomazaki apparently has been, well, hiding a shotgun in his pants all this time. Uh, and yet... He says that, but then again, maybe he was depressed. I don't know. There's just something that seems a bit odd about suddenly, like giving him the, giving him an accolade that has nothing to do with his own, like an accolade, quote unquote, like where people, are, which things, something people are impressed by that he hasn't actually worked for. At least I hope he hasn't. Um, I don't know. Something about it seems a bit skewed. I mean, I didn't laugh at it, but I didn't find it offensive. Uh, so, eh, I don't know. It. I wouldn't also really call this eps- this scene fan service because it's just I mean you don't see anything like there's mention of it but well one of the two scenes one is show and one is tell let's put it that way oh there's not enough room in this room to deal with that but anyway I'm going to move away from this question now before saying any more uh, what did you take away from Misasawa's confession scene with Hidami and the outcome which view do you consider correct um. I think by view, this is something to do with like masks and such, like the way that people portray themselves. The thing I find interesting about this scene is that, of course, uh, Hinami knows that Tomazaki is listening, so she's arguably not even telling the truth there. I don't think we ever really get to know the true her in the show. To go back to um, Rackham's fourth question there. So, (sighs) by views here, like I'm not really sure, I must have missed it, but generally speaking, like I think that I don't find it unreasonable for, like, people in their position to think that they have to be perfectionists. Um, But obviously the truth is they shouldn't be perfectionists, really. Uh, So, yeah, I... Oh, gosh, this is the point where I uh, feel like I'm unprepared for this question because I'm missing out on what their viewpoints actually were. Um, 
but at least I, I I will say this though, like I do absolutely approve of Bezazawa, like you know, doing essentially what Hinami cannot, and I'm not talking in terms of like confessing feelings or anything, but more rather that he's willing to like open up uh, and be genuine. I think that's a positive step for him, and the fact that Tomazaki is like you know influenced on that is pretty good. Um, which, by the way, let's speaking because accolade has been a word tossed around tonight a little bit. Let's give him credit for that. Let's not give Hinami that by proxy because she hasn't taught him to do that. That's something that he feels intuitively is the right thing to do. Uh, and that ties, of course, into the thing I've said since the start of the podcast, which is, is he actually really a bottom tier character? Not, no, not really. Like, there's been, like, you know, ways he could have improved. He could have upgraded his, you know, uh, tools, his gear, his weapons, you name it. Or apparently he's already packing a decent weapon. So, <laughs> Uh, it all comes back to the dicks. Yay! <laughs> this day's been strange at work, so it's left me in a weird, manic mood, and now I'm talking about this, so heaven help me. Anyway! <laughs> um, next one. Please talk about Hinami and Tomazaki's encounter at the episode end of episode 11. Next question from Kate here. Why did she decide that Tomazaki was done, and why did this reaffirm his perception that he is a bottom-tier character? Well... She thought he was done because her worldview and his, at that point, were incompatible. Uh, he wanted to, you know, figure the f out if he was actually had feelings for Fuka or not, rather than just, you know, playing the pickle pies with her. You know, using her as a prop for his own ego, his own self-esteem. Like, he did, did he actually, you know, he wasn't willing to do that in the event that he didn't like her. If he did like her, then he wanted an authentic relationship with her. Whereas... Hinami, like, you know, she, as I say, she gives 99%, but she'll never give all of it to anything. Uh, and that 99% is enough to put her above pretty much most people, but it doesn't mean she's giving it her all. Um, but of course, that then ties back into Rackham's question, and my answer to that is, which is, in order for this to really hit home, we probably need a look into her backstory. And the more I think about it, the more that might be because that would then parallel Tomazaki's own backstory, as far as the show is concerned, like the opening episodes where. We see him relating his malaise at the world, like, you know, his, uh, his, will, his view of, like, you know, how unfair everything is. That kind of thing. Uh, as, for him, as for reaffirming his perception that he's a bottom-tier character, it's because he initially takes... He initially still, in some way, unconsciously ascribes to the goal-oriented or goal-oriented um, tasks and, like, you know, program that she has given him. Like, he feels like he's failed there. Additionally, uh, he mentions that that relationship he had with her, this friendship, has just gone at the drop of a hat. So it's not just in this case also like the fact that he's now failed these goals, like and that's still kind of wedged in his head a little bit. But on top of that, it's more because he feels like he's genuinely offended her, rather than what he eventually comes to realise, which is they have a disagreement of view. And friends can have that, you know. Friends don't necessarily have to agree on everything. Uh... It's certainly some things are easier to disagree on than others, of course. Um, but yeah, I I don't think he feels that he's a bottom tier character in the same way as he was at the start. I think instead he's had a shift of perspective on it, where previously he was just like, "Well, I'm a garbage person because, like, you know, life is life is, sucks. It's unfair. You know, I've been given bad stats." The incel shit again that I mentioned before. Whereas this time he feels like he's a bottom tier character because he feels like he's lost a friend. He's upset them. He's broken like some sort of like uh, promise to them. You know, he's he's let her down. He's failed her in terms of goals. Be not because he couldn't do them, because he wouldn't do them. He was disobedient. 
Um, and that's upset customer relationship, which had value in its own right beyond their, you know, lessons um, that they were having. So, yeah, uh, I think that's why that happened, basically. Ah, more rum. That'll keep me going for a little bit. So, final question from Kate Rose. Overall, did this show accomplish its goals and what messages or message do you think it leaves its audience in the end? <laughs> I'm laughing, not because I think the question is a bad one, but I'm laughing because I feel like this show's goals have shifted so much over the course of it that I, if I said that it hadn't, answered, it hadn't met its goals as far as the, it set out at the start... Uh, and that's a good thing. How would you feel about that as an answer? It feels weird to say, doesn't it? But it's true. <laughs> it it sounded initially to me, at least as I see it, to be a kind of like, you know, middling, low effort harem thing. And then it actually, at the end, came to be a critique of gamification uh, and a reaffirmation of authentic relationships with, you know your peer group, with your friends, with people your age, and all the benefits that can be reaped from that, as well as, you know, the fact that, hey, uh, there is a difference between technique and application when it comes to self-help. Like, what, like, you can improve, but why do you want to improve? What's the end goal? Are you doing it for a good reason, or are you doing it just to become a fucking pickup artist, a, a rouge or whatever that fuckwit's name is? So... In the end, if it had goals, um, I'm going to say that it absolutely exceeded them 100%. It went above and beyond. <laughs> Extra credit. A++++. Um, but if we're talking about, like, as far as being a show about, hey, improving diet, improving oneself, like, I think there are better shows out there. Um, this is the point where I can't really name any offhand because I haven't done my homework and properly listed those that I've seen, which I feel meet that criteria. Um, and I think some of it still feels a bit, f uh, feels like a bit wrong, into, especially the fan service, which comes roaring back in these episodes. I'm like, oh no, are we doing this again? Come on, you almost completely shuck it off. Like, you know, when a dog shakes off being wet, but now you've just gone out in the rain again and rolled in the puddle. Well, never mind, I guess. Um, I do think um, the message at the end though that gives a uh, that i've said about hey gamification like can have its purposes but you've got to be careful like basically be careful that you're doing it for the right reasons um is worthwhile and beyond again the dick and all that uh it i think there's just something else to be said for the fact that tomazaki like he does learn he does get better he does get more self-confident but the real thing that he achieves is a sense of agency where he's like okay She's given me the means and the methods, but it's up to me to decide what to do with them. Um, and that is also reflecting its ending as well. And I know I'm dancing around the issue of talking about the ending here, but trust me, I'm going to get to it. And I think it's kind of great how it does it. Um, but yeah, I think overall it ends very positively. If it had goals, it either met them adequately, in which case, in the case of having the high uh, you know, aspiration to talking about self-help and gamification. And if it had the low goal of, well, let's just have it be some harem nonsense, then, well, it went exceptionally beyond that. Well done, Tamazaki, as a show. Congratulations. You've changed the meta. You, you've you've rewritten the meta. You're now a top-tier show where you're a bottom-tier one. And that still, by the way, astounds me. I mean, correl correlation is not causation, but you could literally map somehow 
like Tomazaki's character improvement with the overall improvement of quality in the show itself and the lines would broadly intersect and I'm just like or rather overlapping so I'm just like is that deliberate? <laughs> I don't know. Answers on a postcard to an address I will not give you because we don't have a PO box we're cheap sorry. Right anyway um, that brings us to the end of Kate's questions so thank you very much for dropping those there Kate hugely appreciate. Final question Da, da, da. This one comes from SS. SS. You can on. Uh, Dolphin Pioneer, uh, quality artist, and good lad. Um, he has asked me the following Has the show prompted you to change or reconsider how you behave or carry yourself in any way? Ooh. Um, I think. I think especially for me, one thing that I, I will give the show credit for is making me think more about my appearance. Like, it's it's difficult because I'm old. <laughs> I am old. And by that I mean I'm actually old, about twice the age of the characters in the show. Uh, and I'm this is not me saying, by the way, that I have nothing left to learn, that I am an old dog who cannot be taught new tricks. Uh, not at all. Uh, but rather, I've... I've God, this makes me sound like the most arrogant piece of shit ever, but I feel like some of the stuff I've already learned in the past, like, I've been down the road of feeling, like, depressed about myself, where, like, I've had no success, like, in the things that I've saw, like, women, for example, that kind of thing, um, and I've become a lot more self-confident, so, I mean, if you looked at me when I was Samazaki's age, I've, I am the same person as I was then, but I'm also very, very different, I was incredibly shy like he was, uh, I didn't really want to associate, I thought everyone was just out to get me, that kind of thing, and then, I changed. I came out of my shell, uh, much as he did. Um, but I think it's reaffirmed my feeling on, hey, maybe one should, uh, you know, take care more of their appearance. And this isn't like, you know, again, for any particular goal reason, this is something I think the show is really good at. Like, it's not like, it's not a bad thing to want to like take care of your appearance, like for its own sake. Uh, you can all mentioning in chat there that appearance gives a good boost. Cause that's true. I mean, I like I like you know keeping my beard in check and all that. Like I shave my. I mean, I'll pro tip for you here, like folks. I've had a little bit behind the scenes how the sausages made kind of thing. I actually shaved my head before coming onto the podcast today because I thought I want to look reasonably business casual. <laughs> oh God, that's terrible! I'm wearing an X Wing T shirt here, you know, like a Star Wars one with the X Wing computer bit. What I mean to say is, I want to look like I've cleaned up just a tiny little bit. Um. And that's what I do. Like, you know, I, I like taking pride in my appearance. I like taking pride in the appearance of the stream where possible. Like, this is why I do things like, you know, have the shades on the text be like, you know, colours from the show. Little things like that. They're worthwhile doing for their own sake and just for your own sense of pride. Um, there is a difference in my mind between, um, between like, looking after your appearance and vanity. Because vanity is never to be tied to ego. Like, you can still, like, take pride in your appearance without, like, you know shoving in people's faces, tying it to your sense of self-worth, like, completely and utterly to the point of uh, excluding everything else. Um, yeah, I think that's been one of the things that the show has reminded me, just that I want to probably work a little more. Like, I need better clothes, basically. I mean, you and I, I think we're all tired of seeing this stuff. Like, you know, they've been staying on target on this T-shirt for fucking months, given how many times I'm wearing for this podcast. But anyway, um, one thing I will, however, note is that's just my reaction. And that's my reaction as an old man of 33. Make of that what you will. Um, I think that maybe people who are younger than me, um, of Tamazaki's age, maybe a little older, would still find value in this. Um, 
um, and even then, like people my age might still find Valiant as well. Like you know, I I'm lucky. I've had I've gone through some of the revelations Samazaki's been through much earlier in my life, but later than he did, to be fair. Um, but I won't preclude the possibility that this could be very valuable to people who need it, and that's great. That's uh, that gives the show a lot of worth. Like if for you person listening at home right now whether or not you're in our chat one of our patrons otherwise if you have watched this show and it's given you like you know the inspiration to better yourself uh, for the right reasons of course because that's the code to the show that's great that means whatever however i feel about the show as a work of fiction as a work of art it has genuine value to the world it's done something it's made someone's life better and i think the show can be proud of doing that if it has done so so yeah um it's, you know, made me care a little bit more about my appearance, but I think it might have helped other people a lot more, and for that, it's absolutely worthwhile. Ah, and with that, that brings us to the end of our Patreon questions. Thank you very much to all of our wonderful patrons who've asked, uh, both today and throughout the course of doing this particular series on Desho the Third for bottom tier character Tomazaki. Uh, if you are, of course, listening and think, hey, uh, when they do the next show, I want to pick it. And I want to ask questions. I want those best girl lists. Uh, well, you know, I'll do a best girl list for you. It might not be what you expect. I might not give it an entirely serious answer. But pop on over to patreon.com forward slash warriordesho. Get yourself signed up to the $5 tier. You'll help us pick the show. You'll help ask the questions. And you'll help contribute to the discussion and enrich our, you know, discourse around the shows we cover. Unless you always do top girl lists, in which case, God help me. Maybe that's worth the cost of admission. I don't know. You let me know. All right, then. Talking points. Talking points. Oh, boy. Talking, talking, talking points. So, um, I'm going to start by just talking about something that isn't, like, you know, a literary point for critiquing. I just Sometimes I, I think to myself that maybe I spend too much time, like, analysing stuff very clinically and in a sterile way. Let me just talk about something I was ultra-enthusiastic about, which is the date with Fuka went great. Um... With one mild thing that I noticed about her, but generally speaking, I thought that like she and Tomazaki got along really well. I was really, really happy with how it went. It was very good. Um, so, I like said at the end of the last block of episodes that I covered with Doc that I really wanted to see how the date went. I wanted it to go well. I was engaged with the show. I was an investment in it. And I was very happy to see the investment paid off. I think also... Um, the, the date illuminate and particularly their follow-up discussions about her being hard to talk to um, also has a point to it as well, which I'll get to in a little bit. But on the whole, like, I'm just glad they had like a genuinely good time with each other. Yes, that's great. It's nice. It's pleasant to watch. I was very happy for them both. Um, so yeah, that was, that was fantastic. The one thing I find note though is, and I don't know if this is just kind of like a vestigial part of the way that Fuka's character has been constructed as if it was a harem character rather than someone who's more regular. I don't know if that's the right term for this. Is Her vice actress plays like her part very, very soft-spoken. Like very quiet. And when she's having conversations with Tomazaki in these last couple of episodes... I, there is moments like where she shows nervousness, but she still has that same hushed t tone, even when she's talking like about writing books or like how she views the world, like, you know, the idea of colours, this kind of thing. I'm not sure if it's the direction, I'm not sure if it's the voice actress, I'm not sure if she was just like sticking to the template of here's this incredibly quiet library girl who you can totally pick on the other route, by the way, and you can go for a good ending if you want. 
Um, that's the kind of cynicism I <laughs> employ towards the early parts of this show. But no, I thought the team was fucking great. I'm really glad for them both. Okay. Separate point, though. Uh, the whole thing between Shuji and Yuzu about being pushed to date each other, like, he just came across as a twat. I just didn't care for him. I had no investment in the outcome of this. I mean, okay, admittedly, the whole plan to get the two of them to hook up was just, as far as writing the show is concerned, uh, an excuse to get them out on a, like, day out camping uh, not even, well, in fact, no, we'll call it glamping because they weren't even camping in a tent. They were in like a proper house. Uh, sorry, proper, like, you know, dormitory. Um, so, I, I mean, but nonetheless, I was just like, oh, I don't care for these two. He comes across as a bit of a toss. Like, they had the moment where he like, loosened up a little bit of Splashy Warrior, but like, cripes. He, he needs to pull the stick out of his ass, that guy. And as for Yuzu, like, I still can't place who she is. Like, she's, she's a girl and she's there. On the screen. I guess. Cool. <laughs> Fair enough. You you two carry on. I'll pay attention to the actually interesting characters. Right. Um, what next? What have we got on my list of talky points here? Well, I mean, you can always ask me who, who Best Girl is. Um, and Best Girl is, of course, the, uh, the convenience store owner or the electronic store owner who's passed out on the sofa in the break room in the end of episode 12. Aha! But you didn't expect me to say that, did you? Come at me. Um, I suppose I should acknowledge at this point what I mentioned before, which is that the show has this very, very weird um, return to its weird fan service. Like, we get this scene of, like, Aoi's feet where she's, like, painting her nails. And, and the thing I want to point out to that is she didn't have to be doing that while talking to her on the phone. She'd been doing anything, but it was just very, very odd. We had the side boot bit. We had a lot, like... There was the scene, I think, of uh, of she, uh, sorry, of Yuzu trying on different dresses. You got the, a lot of panning up shots from like Les and then also, of course, when they have the swimsuits. Yes, that was going to happen eventually. Blech, whatever. Uh, it just feels odd. Like it isn't quite as weirdly on like focused on the legs as last time, at least as I recall it. But it came back, and I'm just like, hey, you didn't need to do that show. You, you grew up. You grew up, and you got out of it. Why have you gone back to it? Like you, you. You quit the smack. You quit the smack of fan service. And you came back to it. And now you're in a mess again. Now you're in the back alley covered in garbage. Wondering when your next hit of fan service is going to be. Oh, shit. But uh, that's a minor point anyway. It's not the end of the world. I, I just want to mention it because it just felt noticeable to me. But whatever. It's not the end of the world. Right then. Okay, so let's talk about something that Doc mentioned in which... Um, this will go on record. He'll never hear this, of course, unless someone tells. I mean, okay, yeah, you probably will. <laughs> I'll tell it soon. I was discussing this off camera, actually, which is um, let's talk about predictability. So, Doc said, if I recall correctly, on the podcast last time, that the reason that Aoi doesn't have a boyfriend of her own uh, is because she's going to be available for Tomazaki because they're going to hook up at the end. Now, the show, of course, does not end like conclusively in the sense of like with the. Uh, the bookend of Hader, like some, like Sawazaki's hooks up with someone, he goes off to the sunset, but it's not like that. It doesn't end up with him doing the big Daria graduation speech or anything like that. Um, he doesn't, you know, tell anyone that they're standing on his neck or the like. Um, so, I, I want to note though that, like, <laughs> that, it see, like, in episodes one through four, I would have thought, okay, yes, it is going to be Aoi, it's going to be Tomazaki. They're going to hook up at the end because they're the tank fan players. Yada, yada, yada. Um, 
but the show the show very cleverly plays with that in a couple of ways there is the very obvious bit at the end of episode 10 when they have like her leaning in to kiss him playing chicken with him uh, and he's trying not to freak out kudos to him for maintaining his cool during that by the way uh, although he probably could have also said uh, what are you doing don't do this please um what I want to know is that there's a scene in episode 9 early on when Tomazaki and Aoi are having a discussion at the restaurant. It's the usual one where she gets all of her Parmesan teas on. You know, she's sprinkling that shit on like cocaine on pancakes. I'm telling you. And she is saying things about the Fuka dates. Like, hey, this is you going to like watch a film based on a book that you're both really into. Like, you spend a lot of time doing these activities together. And I don't know if this is intentional or not on the part of the writing, but I think it's pretty cool. What she's saying equally applies to her and Tomazaki. You can replace uh, the books uh, that uh, Fuku mentions with, of course, Takfam as the common, uh, like, you know, shared hobby, the shared passion. And I thought that was actually a very, very subtle bait and switch, a red herring of how it was actually going to be Tomazaki later realizing. She said all these things about me and Fuka, but it's really applying to me and her. What could she mean? Ah! Like that. But no, uh, it was just a nice little undercurrent of like, hey, what's happening, what she's saying is going to happen with them too, is already happening here. Is that evidence towards it? And it turns out, no, it's not. That never happens. Like, there's even a bit at the very end when, uh, in episode 11, when, where Aoi says, like, oh, do, do you mean to, like, you know, confess your feelings to a girl more compatible? And a more hack writer would have had Tomazaki, like, step up and say, yes, it's you, Aoi. It's you I've got the feels for. But no. So I want to give the show credit for not going the obvious route. Now, this is the point where someone will, uh, like, DM me tomorrow or send me a carrier pigeon with a little note on it, and I'm going to unfold it, and it's going to go something a bit like this. Oh, uh, they hook up in the manga. And I'm going to be like, yeah, get it. Get rid. Get rid. I, I'm really happy with that, because it. I feel like in some way, if they hooked up, it would compromise somewhat the teacher-student relationship they have. Now, am I saying the teacher-students can't hook up? Well, in most cases, they shouldn't. Uh, in very specific and certain circumstances, which I'll not spend time elaborating here because this is not the point of the podcast and I don't want to paint things in black and white. Moving on. Um, what I mean to say, though, is like, as far as they are concerned, like I think that she should be arming him with the tools to be independent, but then if, it all, if he came back to like falling for her and then she fell for him back, I don't think it would have been a truly independent thing if you follow my meaning. I don't think it would have been truly, like, he would have truly been out in the wild. Ah, uh, oh, Yukinon's correcting me. It's a light novel, not a manga. Damn it! Well, hey, that's great then. If they don't hook up in the manga because it doesn't exist, then that's my canon preserved. Yes! Love it. So, I I'm glad in the end that they didn't hook up. Um, so, kudos to the show for doing that. Um, Speaking of which, I also want to just then move on to my next talking point, which is related to a similar scene where there's, in fact, the same scene as a matter of fact, where um, Aoi is mentioning like, hey, you've got to maybe add Fuka to like your contacts and all that. And again, the show does a great job here uh, without really belaboring the point of showing how the act of like adding someone to a contact group on a phone is a one, excuse me, is a one second thing, but the gravity behind it. Uh, to, to, I mean, speaking of experience here, it's something that, like, you know, feels like it takes 20 times longer in your brain. Um, like, Tomasaki's reluctance and all that. Like, it should be the most simple thing, but it's not for him. Even though it would be for her. But again, he wants to approach things 
authentically. He wants to do this right. He doesn't want like to trivialize communicating with people. I think that's a great little detail that has built upon before and brings back here. So good on the show for doing that. All right, what else have we got to discuss here? What else are we going to rattle off in terms of talking points? Okay, I'm going to now talk about the time in which uh, Tomazaki speaks with Fuka um, at the start of episode 12. And this was something that I thought was really, really brilliant. And Fuka basically relates to Tomazaki about like how she's found it sometimes difficult to talk to him, but then sometimes easier. And she relates like how she sees things like as she does with a novel like she she sees like when he speaks with clarity and that like causes images to form in her head like you know of what he's talking about and gives them color and all that i thought this was utterly brilliant on the show's part and why do i say that because this show um by design um has presented like much of its discussion of the world how to perceive it how to interpret it through games and gamification now that's not inherently a bad thing there are times when that is acceptable i mean if you for example get on an exercise bike and you have a set number of calories you want to burn per day that is gamification I don't see that as being a problem. What I might be concerned with, unless you all parties involved are of the, you know, have informed consent about it, is get girlfriends times free and you fill that up like it's a quota on an MMO. That's probably a bit more... That's probably a bit more problematic. Um, so, <laughs> the, the thing about it, though, is... Um, that's been the show's, like, consistent way of discussing... I mean, even Misasawa does it at some point. Uh, he talks about like being a character, for example, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what Fuka is doing here, um, he is like she she is relating a different way of viewing the world. And what I find amazing about this is that they acknowledges that there isn't just gamification and video games as a way of contextualizing one's world. There are other ways. The way Fuka has, for example, of like seeing things, so like interpreting it as novels, like you know, and like forming images and all that, like, and I think that's true for everyone. I don't think every single person like ha may necessarily have a clear cut like way of seeing the world that we can like boil down to say a video game or um, like fiction in general, but rather um, Tomazaki as the show at that point reminds us that this particular viewpoint that it has of video games as the lens through which we explain the world and explain how to beat the game of life isn't the way everyone else sees it and that there are other valid ways of seeing it and of course that is proven by the fact that Tomazaki like you know takes Fuka's words to heart and decides as a result to go and speak to Aoi like you know her way of seeing the world is different from him but it complements him it complements like you know his actions and like hey uh, I should make him think hey I should go do this thing and I think that's great. I, I'm so happy the show is willing to acknowledge that it's not just a game-centric way of viewing the world. Like, you know, it actually, in a way, critiques its own game-centric way of viewing the world. That being one of them, where it opens up to this, the idea that there are other ways of viewing the world that are just as valid and can fill in the gaps that you might be missing. And then, of course, we have what happens with Aoi later, which I'll actually get onto in a little moment. Um, I'll add, by the way, when talking about the ending, that... While Fuka and Tomazaki, as far as the show is concerned, don't actually officially start dating, 
One of the things that I like about it is that we see in the ending montage them having a separate discussion from the rest of the group. Maybe it's another date, maybe they're still friends. But I just like the way that the ending leaves us with this impression that they're going to keep hanging out together, just the two of them, for whatever reason that might be. Maybe it's romantic, maybe it's not. But that'll keep going on. I love stories like that, where the ending that way that promises that they will keep doing the things. They do. And then your brain can fill in the rest. Like, do they hook up? If you want them to hook up in your brain, great. If you don't, but they still want to be friends, like, you know, ha- talk about the books that they read, fan-fucking-tastic. Open-ended stuff like that can really work in these kind of stories, and I think it works great here. Um, and hey, maybe they do hook up, but if they do, I'm totally cool with that. I would say they're probably my preferred ship. There you go, you got that out of me. Don't you feel proud? <laughs> um, so let's talk about the file discussion between Aoi and um, Tomazaki here. Um, I've already mentioned before that he like has his own worldview and that his worldview is contradictory to hers. But that's why he can always be her attack fan because he like gives 100% where she gives 99. Um, he's willing to like put every single bit of him in there, uh, whereas she won't. She always keeps just a tiny little bit of it, like out of reach, like arm's length away, and that goes including sort of relationships. Um, but what I want to note as well that I found really neat about this is that Tomazaki chooses the arena in which they fight him. Because again, it's still a game. Like, he's still using the game element a little bit to his advantage. Like, he takes them back to where they initially first met when they were, like, you know, meeting up offline. Uh, and he turns the tables on her completely. Um, it's a wonderful bookend to the show by bringing it back to that original location. It shows how much he's grown, but also shows how he has, like, you know, the will now to pick and choose his fights. Like, he will stand his ground there. Um, I mean, heck, you get to choose, like, arenas in actual fighting games. Some of them are not great if you've played lately. They're a bit laggy and all that. But that's beside the point. Like, I love that he got to set the terms there of when they had their discussion. Um, It's not something I would have seen him do um, in episode one, for example. Like, it's a great, like, you know, follow through. Um, So, yeah, excellent, excellent way to resolve that discussion there. Um, And I'm just going to very quickly check the time. Oh, which is over an hour. Great. Okay, so... I'm going to have one final talking point here before I move on to my summary of these episodes and summary of the show overall. And I want to talk about the ending again. Um, There is, as I've said many times on this podcast, but it's worth repeating, there's a kind of ending called the endless ending, which is basically they walk off into the sunset. Uh, That doesn't need to, of course, be every single, uh, you know, person doing the exact same thing. But what I like about this ending montage is we get all of the characters like, you know, they're in a good place. Uh, they're all still friends. They're all doing what they're happy doing. You know, I got the karaoke with the girls and all that. We've got the dresses being tried on, which Rackham rightly pointed out, maybe it's just to show off the dresses rather than being fan servicey. Could That's fair. I, I, I freely admit that. That's probably my horse blinders on with that. Um, we, of course, get Tomazaki now getting a part-time job, which is the next big step for him. Um, him hanging with Fuka again. Um, interestingly, we don't ever see Fuka cross over with the other group of, of women, which would be something I would like to have seen if Tomazaki and her actually did gain a relationship. Like, blending friend groups together is something that happens. You know, when you meet someone, you introduce them to your friends, they introduce them uh, to theirs, um, families, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that, like, that's something that I would like to have seen hinted at, perhaps. But nonetheless, the ending is great. Um, it's great because it works like the girls last saw, funnily enough. Not in terms of what happens, but rather because 
There has been a change in the status quo. There has been an arc that these characters have been through. They are now wiser um, than they were at the, be the beginning. Maybe things haven't materially changed not so much, you know, in terms of like where they are in their life, but they know more. They're wiser and smarter results. Tomazaki, certainly, but also Aoi, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, I I think that for the same reason I like the ending of Girls Last so much, I like this one too, because it hints at a future for all of these characters where, you know, they'll keep on doing their stuff. They'll keep having, like, you know, weekends away where they have barbecues and crazy shit happens. Maybe they all, like, you know go to a different city or something like that. Maybe finally we get something that I suggested earlier, which is that Aoi and uh, um, Tomazaki go to a fine game tournament for TACFAN, and they have to navigate that kind of nonsense, and Tomazaki's trying to hide his identity. Uh, who knows? But, like, I like it when a show ends where it leaves you wanting more, but it leaves you satisfied with what it gave you, and that is absolutely how I describe this show. Despite its incredibly rough beginning, um... So yeah, uh, that brings me to the end of my talking points for bottom tier character Samazaki. It has been quite the ride. Uh, I can't recall another show I've watched where the quality curve, as I say, started low but went up as it did here. And I'm very happy it did. Um, I, I, I enjoy doing like shows for patrons, even if they're bad. But I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a personal enjoyment element that's still worth pointing out here. Like, you know, I can be professional, but I can also talk personally about what I like and what I don't like. And so, for me, like, seeing the show improve as dramatically as it did, as people rightly pointed out it does, I'm like, holy shit, uh, this is great. I'm very, very happy with this. Um, it's not flawless, as I say. I think there's some still sketchy fan service stuff that comes back like, you know, a bad rash at the end. Um, I think that some of the comedy still doesn't really work for me. I didn't find a lot of it all that funny. But the show has gained a real sense of maturity at the end in terms of how it treats its characters and how it critiques its own, like, thesis statement. Like, oh, hey, uh, you know, Aoi, she's the perfect character. She knows everything. She's always right, except she's not. The one time I can recall thinking this otherwise recently, and of all things, was in Sailor Moon S, where, of course, you had... Uh, Haruka and Michiru, the perfect Sailor Scouts, except that they are morally and ethically bankrupt. Like, they are great at everything they do, but what they choose to do with their powers is wrong. And I love it when shows do that, where they set up this character as kind of a perfect foil, where they are amazing at everything they do, but their philosophy is wrong, and we get to see why they're wrong. Um... And it affirms also at the end that Tomazaki was never the bottom tier character he made himself out to because he had that inner core of like respect uh, for other people and wanting to be fair with them. Like he wanted to treat Fuka like someone who wasn't just there to like fulfill a quota. Like he wanted to get to know her properly and then rightly questioned his own affection for her, which for a, for a kid his age, I should stress that's light years in development beyond, I mean, light years, of course, distance, not time, blah, 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 you get my point. Um, beyond what I'd expect, because, like, kids get together at that age, and they might not necessarily have due, true, genuine affection for each other, as we understand it as adults, you know? Um, that's not, I'm not trying to be disparaging here, but it's just, you know, a learning process. Like, it's not often you'll find kids that age hook up with someone for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, they're still growing and learning. But he's like ahead of the curve on that by thinking, hey, I need to take a step back here and really truly consider, do I like Fuka in that way or not? 
And he comes to the answer, I don't know. Let's find out. Great. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, uh, this show has done very well in the end. I'm very proud of it. It's grown up. They grow up so fast. That's my boy and all that. Um, as far as how I'm going to rate this particular block of episodes, I'm going to give the block of episodes specifically... Um, I don't want to say dicks. I don't want to say dicks. <laughs> I don't want to say dicks. <laughs> I'm going to give it... Um, 4.5 firework badges out of 5. Whew, I dodged it. I dodged saying it. Uh, so thank God for that. Um, yeah. And considering how poorly I rated it at the start of like the first block of episodes, that's a phenomenal improvement. So well done to the show. Overall, I still wonder if the show will have a lot of staying power for me, though. I think one of the problems is that I wondered to myself, this show um, will stick around in my memory because of how much it improved rather than what it had to say. And that reflects on me, by the way, as a critic. That doesn't reflect on the show. Um, but in the end, I think I'm going to be fair here. For the entire show, uh, I am going to give it four out of five uh, winning matches of TACFAM out of five. Um, the fan service element is probably the most cringy part of it. Uh, and I wish it was never there to begin with. Because um, it still sticks out even from the very beginning of the show. And it comes back. Um... And I wish the show otherwise, like, you know, set its stall out early on where it didn't appear to be harem bollocks, basically. Um, but, to its credit, it improved just as Tomazaki did. It went from a bottom-tier show to a mid-to-high-tier one. Um, and it certainly did the exact opposite of the equivalent show for this year, Horamiya, where it's, you know, Horamiya started well and ended badly, this one started badly and ended very well. And I feel like, you know, there's something to be said about shows that can do that where I come out of them thinking, yeah, I quite enjoyed my time with that in the end. For good and for bad, it was a worthwhile journey. Right, on that note then, that brings us to the end of today's Desho the Third stream, another hour and a little bit. Thank you very much to everyone who's joined me in chat today, talking to me live. Thank you to our patrons, of course, for offering up their questions, input and insight. Uh, and we're always great to have you offering your thoughts and contributing to discussions about these shows. Uh, and to you, would-be listener, if you're catching this on the free-to-air, you know, after this has uh, become available for everyone... I want to thank you as well for spending the time listening to me ramble on solo about this. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, if you're thinking of supporting us financially, again, patreon.com forward slash Roy Desho, put money in, means I can have more beer. Everyone wins. You get more content, I get more alcohol. Great. That's a bargain, I reckon. Of course, if you don't want to support my rampant alcoholism and instead would prefer to, you know, just give us like, you know, moral support, Great. That's fantastic as well. Always helps our discoverability. Always puts a smile on my face when people do that. So you can follow us over at Worry Desho on Twitter. Look for us on um, Apple Music, Spotify, all places where good podcasts appear. We're on there. Drop us the likes. Drop us the ratings. Give us feedback. Drop us constructive feedback. You know, like, I mean, this is a bit, admittedly, a bit of a weird time because my regular podcast buddy Doc is not here, so I'm flying solo. But I mean, if you have things to say about my solo work, drop them here as well. I mean, if there ever comes a time I have to do this again, it would help me get better at doing it. So, yeah, maybe cut off down on the rum if you're wanting to tell me that, you know. I might not necessarily listen to it, but it's certainly worth mentioning. Um, 
And of course, you can find me at Shaden1010 on Twitter. Talk to me about anything. Fighting games, anime, anime that looks like a fighting game, fighting game that looks like an anime, etc., etc., etc. All that good stuff. I'll also talk about beer, politics, yelling at people, snarkiness, cynicism, you name it. I run the gamut of stuff. But otherwise, that will be it for tonight. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining me. I hope you're all staying safe during this time, wherever you might be in the world. I hope you're looking after yourselves. Um, and we'll be back next week uh, with the finale of SSSS Um I'm going to be doing that again with Mark. Uh, so thank you very much uh, to Mark for joining me that. Like he'll be he'll be along for that. Um, after that, of course, we'll then conclude Vivian. We'll move on to a brand new cycle of shows. But until then, as we often say on this podcast, embrace everyone to the ends of the universe. Good night. <laughs>